this is a spoiler-laden episode, so I warn you now, uh, if you've not played The Beginner's Guide uh, and are interested in playing The Beginner's Guide, stop right now. We'll have a normal episode up in the usual time. Uh, but I am joined by Laura. Hello, Laura. Hello, I am here just to make sure that we definitely cross the two hours of Podquisition-related material provided this week that everyone was thinking, oh, are they going to get there eventually? We're going to do it. We're going to split it into two shows, but we'll get you more than two hours of content this week. Yep, you're going to get more than two hours of audio content, although, as I say, some of you may not be able to uh, partake of this particular, uh, however long this goes. Well, I say say over two hours. You never know. Maybe we'll keep this under 15 minutes, our uh, thoughts on this particular video game, because, you know, that's... that's a very realistic aim i think (laughs) it's tough it's tough to uh to talk about it um talk about the game itself now um i've reviewed it you've you've said things about it as well did have you done an official review i did a review and i basically i took a very similar tact to your review of the stanley parable last year where i was like Mm -hmm. okay i played a video game i made notes i threw my notes out none of them felt appropriate if you take my opinion once this year on, like, play this without me explaining why, make it this fucking game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, it's, yeah. It's tough. I mean, what one thing, because it, it make, make, obviously, if you read, if you've read my review, then um, it, it's clearly made me think of a lot of things, uh, mm. personally, as well as professionally. And one of the things that, that kind of a, 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 a related, but not really on topic discussion that can be had from this is the uh the whole almost impossible uh demand that reviewers get these days to not have spoilers but inform about the game's content um Mm. how do you talk about something like the stanley parable like the beginner's guide like telltale episodes you know where almost all of the content is narrative and nobody wants the narrative spoiled uh how do you do anything except for say yeah i liked it I can't tell you why I liked it because I can't give you details. And this this is like the worst example of that because on top of all of the things where like you as a creator are terrified to describe it in too much detail, there is also all of the themes where like there are themes in this about over uh, analysis of media that certainly played on my head a little bit when I sat down to write about this. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it, it, one of the tricky things with a game like this is uh, you really risk making yourself wrong when you try and talk about it because mm. with a game as personal as this um you can never quite claim that you get it that you understand exactly what the creator was trying to mm. say um obviously davy reeden had uh, some very specific goals in mind with his game um the game itself could possibly be for nobody else he could have this is i mean one of the themes is selfishness and doing things just for your own benefit. And it often feels like um, uh, The Beginner's Guide is a purely self-indulgent experience. I mean, people who have criticised the game have gone and said that. Um, although, yeah. obviously, some people think that that's... Some people like, like use self-indulgence as a purely bad uh, term. But some people are enjoying that it is self-indulgent, yet put out for public consumption yeah it's, it's a very interesting thing talking to people who dislike this game because largely they seem to have taken away the exact same things from the game that i did it's just a matter of uh, whether people thought they were positives or negatives as a expression of art like one particular point that like has kept coming up in my discussions with people who disliked the game is that it made them toward the end feel deeply uncomfortable and angry and sort of like uh, pushed back from the work and like the work was someone else's and not Mm -hmm. something they were meant to interface with and I totally get why as a consumer of media that can be off-putting but equally for me that sort of even though it was negative emotions those were things that like this game affected me and as such I view that as a positive even if the emotions aren't. Yeah, I mean, mm. it's it's it reminds me, because I've been thinking about this topic for a while, and I may do a Jimquisition episode on the idea of games. Games that exist to not necessarily be fun, and, mm. you know, pure entertainment, uh, to give us a good time. Uh, and I think about things like This War of Mine. Papers, uh, please, w- obviously. Yeah, yeah games, games that really do make you feel terrible. Uh, mm. And... And I, I think it's perfectly valid for people who play games as escapism, uh, to who want a good time, mm. uh, to be put off by that, to not want to feel uncomfortable, to not, oh, to yeah. especially not play something like The Beginner's Guide, which gives them this kind of almost skeevy voyeuristic um, 
feeling sometimes. Well, it's, it's to a degree. It's even a game that like makes you question, like, was I morally right to purchase this? Like there is, there are questions like that that come up that are not necessarily things that you want after having spent money on a piece of media to be told maybe yeah, perhaps yeah. this was the wrong thing to do. Yeah, I mean it. it, it it's kind of um, it kind of, almost in some ways goes for the same thing that uh, Spec Ops: The Line did, uh, mm. albeit way more subtly than because yes. Spec Ops: The Line <laughs> is a sledgehammer to the face with yes. that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I do like a game that, that asks these questions without asking them mm. and doesn't just kind of tell you what you're supposed to feel, which yeah, I think is was it, the issue with Spec Ops. Um, I think I think where this game succeeds is that uh, at that is that it makes you ask yourself the questions rather than asking the, you them through the game. And yes, I yes. think like a testament to the quality of it is that everyone who has been playing it seems to have been asking themselves the same questions without the game having asked them those questions. It's invoked, it's put the, the situation in front of those players and they've said, oh, now I have to ask myself this. And yeah. that, that and is a success, I think. And I have to wonder whether, again, because I don't think anybody can really get Dave's motivations mm. for doing it. Uh, and yeah. he said there's going to be no interviews for a yeah, long like time. Yeah, like I spoke to him myself and his response was like, yeah, I totally, like, I totally get why you're asking Equally, I hope you totally get why I'm not going to talk about this game yeah. for a good few years, probably. Yeah, so anything we say about Reden's reasoning, um, or even, you know, whether Coda's real, there's that, there's a whole the three-dot uh, theory as, that's going on, all of this stuff, mm, we can only speculate. But as, I do wonder if mm -hmm. uh, part of the reason for putting the game out was to see whether everyone else would have the same reaction. I mean, if Davey Reden's got these insecurities about his own need for validation and about the right or wrong of what he's done. Uh, maybe part of what he was doing was looking for some satisfaction in seeing whether everyone else has the same thought processes as him, whether we do all uh, uh, have those same doubts in our minds, yeah. these same uh, addictions for, 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 as I say, val uh, validation and all yeah. this kind of stuff. It's like having sat on the game for a few days now, like there are certain things that I think if this is a performance art piece, if this is something that is not as autobiographical as it sort of presents itself to be on the surface, then I think in many regards it has completely succeeded at that because one of the, one of the topics that specifically comes up in the game is he talks about... Um, the thrill of finding something that is that someone else has created that is exciting and by sharing that with others and getting others to experience it you have some level of i succeeded in being a part of your enjoyment of this piece of media that i didn't create and if this is a performance art piece then i think the critical and audience reception has completely proven his potential point right that people find a satisfaction mm -hmm. in the whole idea of I shared this with you, you liked it, therefore I am responsible for you having liked it. Yeah, and I think that's really, um, that's something that's become more and more pertinent across social media and, and the way we interact with, with, mm. with art, you know? Um, I, I mean, we see it in something as simple as people who get angry over video game review scores. People mm. feel validated by the things they like and other people liking those things they like. Um, you know, I get a thrill whenever I talk about the Electric Light Orchestra uh, and someone goes and listens to ELO and they like it. I get a thrill mm. when, say, I recommend when, when I recommend music to Gavin, because obviously he, he being a, yeah. a successful indie musician... If, if I recommend, like, the Cardiacs to him and he comes back to me and says, you know, I love that music that you've recommended. You've got great taste in music. I feel good. Well, I, I've not done the music. I've not made the music. Mm. I'm not a musician. But I feel like I have good taste. And therefore, and as you say, I'm part of someone else's enjoyment. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not going to lie. Over the last two days or so, a lot of my fulfillment at my job has come from I recommended this game with very little qualification People took me on my word and they enjoyed it, and largely people resonated with my experience. And I feel Same like. Same thing, yeah. yeah. And that has been like, for the last two days, that has been the probably the most fulfilling thing I've done work wise. And that yeah. says a lot. I've, I've, I've had the same reaction. You know, people have said they went out and bought. Uh, you know, I get get it with, with every review I do. I'll get someone saying, you know, mm. I bought Undertale uh, because of you. I bought Deadly Premonition because of but you. But there's so much more of it for this game. Or am I. Is that just me? 
Because um, I, I guess I, I've noticed like far more like direct emails to me to thank me for the recommendation on this game than I do generally get. Mm-hmm. Which I think I, is that might be a difference in in I guess audience size. Yeah, because perhaps I, I do generally get um, yeah the, just the sort a lot of volume of, of yeah the volume yeah. of comments you get probably makes that difference less notable. But for someone like me that gets tweets and things and little bits of audience interaction, um, this is I saw a really noticeable leap in people doing that, and that definitely was a it was a fulfilling feeling. And that is potentially what this game was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. going for, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I certainly have noticed a lot of comments um, with regards to uh, uh, The Beginner's Guide. I guess, for me, it's a little different because there have been other games um, that I've talked about that uh, haven't gotten much coverage before. Yeah. That have uh, almost been... Well, I mean, Deadly Premonition being the most famous, it's <laughs> very much an underground game that... Myself and Giant Bomb, I think, between the two of us, were responsible for turning it into a cult hit, and mm. and that's still like the proudest thing that I've ever done. Um, so, so the beginner's guide have not not quite reached that level, uh, but definitely seen a lot of comments of people who said they read my review. Yeah, even though my review didn't talk much about the game, just me sort of laying out my experiences there. Um, Which I think is the only way you could, you could really go about that without talking about it. Um, yeah, it's well, either you say game... nothing or you talk about yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think it's suitable for a game like this. Plus, again, it, it saves me from the whole trying to analyze it and being totally wrong yeah. uh, thing, is if I just do exactly what the game did, which is be be self-indulgent, uh, mm. talk about myself, um, seek validation while <laughs> doing it, you know, uh, yeah. do that whole thing. And mm. and that way, I, I've kind of... I, I, I feel like I've been able to say everything about the game while saying nothing about the game. Yeah. Um, like, well, while we're talking spoilers a little bit and we're talking about <laughs> self-validation, do you mind if I talk about just like a couple of the themes that I was, the things that were standing out to me until I decided not to do any of my like notes about themes in the game. Um, mm-hmm. Cause like a big thing for me, and I don't know, this is a really interesting thing. Cause I don't know how this plays off to people who aren't sort of full-time in games criticism, but I know, a lot of where it came from for me was because of the job I'm now doing. Um, the pieces of work included in the game, there, whether they be created by Coda or you know, or not necessarily, there are a lot of themes of em- the emptiness of solo creation, the futility of trying to find fulfillment through work as a sustainable way of keeping yourself feeling fulfilled, and the idea of working to quiet some part of your soul that is restless. And I don't know about you, but that was a big thing that about a year into doing this full time where I'm suddenly like, Oh yeah, every single day I have to be creating critique. A lot of those rang home. There was a lot of things there where I'm like, yep, I am absolutely terrified of how much of my (laughs) fulfillment. I am terrified by how much of my sense of self-worth and fulfillment comes from the work I do and like this whole inability to like, I can't stop working because I feel like I'm wasting my time if I take a day off at this point. And this is probably the first piece of media since I started doing this whole full-time writing thing that has really resonated with those aspects for me where I've seen sort of mirroring of, yeah, you get the whole terrifying. I, nothing in my life seems to fulfill me besides working forever. (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel exactly the same way. I've gotten better about it than I used to. Um, back when I worked at Destructoid, uh, if I wasn't doing, like, you know, 10 posts at least a day, I felt, like, just suddenly irrelevant. I couldn't... I had to be relevant for that day, you know. Mm. Laura, I had to. I had to... If, if a story broke, I had to be the one to report on it. I yeah. had... I would fight tooth and nail to be the first to grab these things. Uh, often to the point where um, once upon a time, and I, neither of us have ever talked about it, but myself and Conrad Zimmerman, who's, who's mm. been a guest on the show and I've worked with him uh, for many years now, uh, he and I hated each other at one point. Mm. Like, like, really... And it was unspoken between us until, uh, like, 
I think like two years after we started doing podcasts together and uh, we were at PAX and we both laughed in a hotel room as we both confessed it to each other. Um, because we would both, I don't know whether he was doing it for validation or if, um, or if it was just purely sort of, um, I don't know what his drive for it was. Mm. But my drive was obviously I wanted the juicy stories. I wanted to do the most work. I wanted to be the most important. I wanted to be the most validated. Yeah. Uh, and he and I were at loggerheads about that. And it was a very kind of a bitter thing between us for a while. Um, and... Yeah. I've gotten over that a bit, uh, but I still like I still have that need to like any person who's in uh, a public facing content creation mm. job. And I consider what I do, you know, I do a lot of criticism. I also do a lot of entertainment. And if I'm not doing one or the other, I don't feel great. Yeah, exactly. And like. I think the the sort of key point in this game where it it tackles that the the, the one at least where it's very head on is the uh, tidying the house, which I it's interesting to look at the fact that like uh, Davy Redden in his sort of commentary of that game describes the idea that originally that game was or you know in in its ideal state is something that goes on forever and has no end state, and something about that really stuck with me this idea of like there is no end to trying to have that as your constant state of fulfillment because you'll always end up having to do like okay well i'll find fulfillment by doing it faster or better and it's not a sustainable way of finding fulfillment and seeing that like hearing that presented as like yeah do this but forever and never have an end point said things that i hadn't seen said in other mm -hmm. bits of media so that was really interesting to me um one thing that I think is really interesting on on this, like, again, we're going away f slightly from the broader themes. I think it's really interesting that, like, if you look at this collection of games there are to play through in the Beginner's Guide, I think it's really interesting that there are several of them that you could have taken out of this game, put them on Itch.io by themselves as, like, a solo project, and they'd have probably stood up fairly well critically received as a solo release. Like, I know... Uh, the Walking Backwards game, for example, or um, the one where you're told, okay, to play this game, close your eyes. Like, there are several of these that had very interesting ideas that there are some really impressive bits of design at play here. Right. Honestly, I just think, regardless of whether it was Redden or Coda who ultimately developed these games, I think there are interesting things in them that... If you'd release these as, like, solo projects on Itch.io or somewhere, they probably would have stood their own. And I think that's really interesting that, again, regardless of who's created them, I think there are some really interesting yeah. design ideas squirreled away inside this project, which I kind of didn't expect. I think there were, there were a lot of interesting ideas for the games. Uh, but funnily enough, for me... Um, and I, I think this is a difference in taste between you and I, is that each one on its own is one of the ones I'd have probably lumped in with the Dear Esters of the world, the ones that I don't particularly like. Um, in some of them, I actually found myself thinking, Coda's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, 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 this is the kind of developer that would that I would not get along with them in any way whatsoever. Are you As thinking I, of the one where he uh, told you to keep your eyes closed until it was okay not that to? That one... That one was a, was a uh, um, that one. The... Did did you keep your eyes closed until Redden said it was okay not to? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I managed to I managed to keep my eyes closed the entire way through, and I thought that was a really interesting narrative experience, which was cool. Yeah, I do. I do think that's a that's a critical difference between the way you and I am. Um, I mean, you're more versed in kind of the itchio kind of experimental stuff anyway I, i'm more versed than you in the sort of weird <laughs> indie shit that's just like the the, the 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 fuck is this it's kind of interesting i guess yeah look at that yeah uh, which of course you know there's nothing wrong with that um you know i've even talked about what i think a walking simulator should and shouldn't be and i i'm fully aware that i'm just one person and therefore uh, my word is not law um but it, i did find it interesting that as individual games they're things that i really wasn't into but as a collection narrated by Davey, who, by the way, sounds 
an awful lot like Cecil Baldwin, which I found pleasant. <laughs> he does have a very nice listenable voice, doesn't he? Yeah, like he sounded very uh, Welcome to Night Vile in it, which, which I enjoyed. Um, yeah, it, it is a very good voice for narrating something like this. Um, and that is his actual yeah, voice, thankfully, definitely. yeah. Um, he, he hasn't got in Cecil Baldwin, <laughs> which, you know, as much as I would love if he had done yeah, so. Oh, no, I, I, I have, I've, I've met him once. I've met him once uh, when I, I, I demoed the, I played the Standing Parable PAX demo, that special demo, um, back in, God, the last PAX I ever went to. Um, but that's besides the point. Um, what the hell was I talking about? Oh, yes, as a collection of games uh, narrated uh, by Redden. Is it Redden? I've been saying Redden. I, th- I, think, I think it's Redden. That's how I've been saying it. All right, I'll, I'll try and say them both at the same time. Raiden? Raiden. Raiden. Davy Raiden. Um... <laughs> As a collection narrated, I found it a fascinating, almost like a virtual tour of video game development. Um, Mm. And it helped me, I guess, kind of understand the kinds of games I don't like better. Uh, Not to the point where I think Mm. I'm going to start, you know, praising Dear Esther to the hill. But (laughs) at um, at least understanding the process of... Those kinds of experimental games, and mm. uh, just I guess respecting them a bit more, even if I may still not like them. Um, but but some of them were, were interesting ideas that if they were flashed out, the walking backwards one, the one with the fake virtual notes on the ground. Um, some of them I did find interesting kernels of ideas that I would have loved to have seen developed into maybe something a bit more uh, fleshed out. Yeah, I can totally get that. Like, there are some of these ideas that really stand out to me, like the um, the game with the notes in particular, where it's clearly a creator who's made an authored experience around what they perceive to be the audience response to their work. Um, there is this whole idea of the game where you, the uh, the game where you have to close your eyes, and it's about. Um, having to actively break the rules of the game in order to succeed, and how long do you accept the game's rules before you break them, which is a very Stanley Parable thing to do. But yeah, I think if you'd put these games on Itch.io, there would have been people like me that would have looked at those and been like, this is a fascinating idea, this is a really cool little game, it's free, it's on Itch.io, go check it out, because, you know, I'd have I'd have praised games like this, probably. These mm-hmm. these would have been games I'd have... Yeah, I totally yeah. agree on that front. I think there is, there's definitely an audience for... Possibly each one of those games um, that were done. Maybe not some of the early, early stuff, but definitely some of them. Yeah. Some of the late, late stuff. Yeah, the stuff that was uh, literally impossible without, um, you know, David's breaking of them. Which, of course, some people have suggested, you know, he's recreated. If the games were even real to begin with, he's had to recreate them for us. Um, yeah, well, that's, like, kind of implied anyway, because, like, you get those bits in the levels where he says, like, oh, I've had to edit this, like, press the button and you can skip past it. So it's implied that at the very least he went in and toyed with them and had to get them to work in one big package together. So he doesn't shy away from that fact too much. I mean, I don't even know what the legal implication would be if he was taking other people's creations and selling them for a profit, you know. Mm. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting the conversations I've seen popping up around this because the narrative we're presented is definitely the narrative of a creator who doesn't want their name attached to the projects they've made and as such is Davy Redden maybe the kind of horrible person that would abuse the fact that you know he knows the creator of these games won't want to stand up and say they're his creations like I don't know is Davy Redden that horrible it's you know what at the the very least I'd say it's brave of him to make himself look like that it's brave of him to risk Making himself look like the world's biggest asshole, um, mm, and it's it's really interesting to see him present himself like that. Particularly considering the fact that like he has done that and then said, "Oh, I'm not going to do interviews." Mm. And this this work's kind of going to stand for him for a while. And like, if I take this work on its word and like on the surface level, right now we've got Davy Redden as a person who not only did something horrible but who so clearly didn't understand what he'd done wrong that he perpetuated it. Like, the entire problem was, like, mm-hmm. the the entire problem with his work is that 
he shared the work and now he's doing it again and he's perpetuating it and he asks for forgiveness at the end and there's this whole problem of no you don't deserve fucking forgiveness Davy Redden if this is accurate because you don't understand what you did wrong you're still trying to share this guy's work and profit from it and like you don't deserve forgiveness if that's the case like you don't I think that was my favourite my favourite aspect of the beginner's guide was towards it like around that area of the game where it was this case of a guy apparently making a game for the benefit of of Coda for an apology trying to uh, make a game to say sorry uh, and sell something to apologise for what they did and yet Davies still spent the vast amount of the time talking about himself, um, and I loved that as a as a thing, as this uh, this game that that is supposed to be him criticizing his own self satisfaction, his own self indulgence, and even when talking about this other person, he can't help bringing it back to himself. Oh, exactly, and I think there's like one distinct point in the narrative that really sums this up really well, and it's the first time that that uh, Redden sort of really takes, it crosses that boundary of consent and like takes control away from Coda. And it's that level where you're going down under the house and there's sort of the, mm-hmm. the prison that you get locked in. And when he locks you in that prison, like any other time that he sort of changes the authoritarian um, intent of Coda's games, he sort of, he makes it an option. It's like press A to skip over this section. But this level in the prison is the first time that not only does Redden say, this is like this is difficult for people to play it's pushing people away he actively says i can't find mm. anything of value to assess from this i can't find any anything of value in making you wait and so certain am i that there is nothing of value to be learned from this moment and that coda created something worthless that i am not going to give you the option to wait for an hour and see if you like find something to pick apart in there that I didn't. No, it's not that I can't find anything of value in there. It's that I can't find anything of value. And as such, I'm not going to let you look. I'm taking that part of Coda's experience away from you. And that's, I think that is the first time that, that Redden really just goes like, no, this is about me, not about Coda's yeah, work. This, this is wrong. And I have the power to stop it being wrong. Therefore, I'm going to change it because I know better, which crosses a line that, you know, not even someone like me who's made a living off pointing at things and saying they're wrong um, has ever crossed. Mm. Uh, I think the difference here is that you never like actively change someone's work. You never say your work is wrong. Let me tweak it and fix it and change it regardless of your intent. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, he he kind of does that with everything, um, really, because ultimately we don't have a choice to play these games without his narration, uh, without him contextualizing everything, giving us his opinion on it. Again, going back to the self-indulgence and how this game about Coda is really being turned into a conversation all about him. Well, exactly. And even then, like he's putting endpoints into games that weren't meant to have ends of narratives yeah. to the point that he's got like, stop putting yeah, the fucking lampposts so in my games. It, it all ties back oh. to that. And, and it ties back to other things, like things we've discussed on past podquisitions even. Um, about things like uh, uh, archiving uh, mm. and the preservation of games as they were intended. You know, we've talked about Konami taking PT off of the uh, the PlayStation Network uh-huh. and making this really mm. important game unavailable. Yeah. Uh, and you think to yourself, if these games are as important as uh, Redden claims they are, if he thinks it's so important to get the work out there, uh, why did he just basically vandalize them mm, uh, yeah. if you think about it in mm. that term like he's his vocal graffiti is all over it uh, his um as you say his decision to put endpoints in games that weren't supposed to have them to make us see parts of the worlds and the levels that were, we were never meant to see mm. um to rob us of our agency and coder's agency with that elevator sequence um mm, and and that's the thing is he's taking coder's work and making yes. it his work yeah, he's he's taking that that element of control away, and that's just that is a really fucking big problem. He can't do that. Yeah, and of course, how much you know, how much of this stuff is really done by someone else? How how much of the Coda story is real? Yeah, it's 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 interesting because I kind of came across um I I have an assumption on this, and it was based on when you get to the end and you get to the credits at the very start of the credits, there is someone who is just credited as R. And mm. I assumed that that's yeah, Coda. Right. Mm. And 
I, it's one of those things that, like, I don't know if I'm certain on that or not, but that's just the gut reaction I had, is that there is a real person out there who these games were created by in some regard, even if it's not these versions of the games. Right. And, um, yeah, I, that's just, that's just, I don't know if you agree with me, but that's just the takeaway I had, is that I feel like there probably is a real person, and there they were are in the credits. I don't disagree. Um... But that's because I've deliberately not tried to answer the question. Because mm. for me, it's the whole Blade Runner thing. It's the yeah. whole, is he really a cyborg or not? Um, yeah, like, and, and that's totally valid. Like, I just went with my gut instinct. I haven't tried, I've tried not to think yeah. about it too much. And I'm one of these people who I, I approach a lot of the art, a lot of the art that has mysteries in it. I love not having answers. Um, yeah, totally. And I get like that. the mm. question itself to stand unanswered. Yeah, when whenever stuff like this comes up, I I like to just go off my gut reaction and I think like, okay, what do I think? Why do I think it? Okay, let's just leave it at that. So my gut reaction was this is Coda. Let's <laughs> yeah, let's just kind of stick with that and you know whatever it might be right. Which is fair enough because I I don't think I don't think any one response is invalid. I've I've read a few theories, you know. Coda is some um, woman that Davy had a romantic um, affection for. Um, all stuff like that, you know, different. Who is Coda? Is Coda isn't real? It's a game that's all about Davy. All this kind of stuff. Mm, and to me, it kind of feels like all of those questions are like the wrong way to tackle looking at this because it it's kind of a narrative that we shouldn't. Yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, we when we shouldn't be finding answers to because it feels like. It's a lot of people trying to understand the intent of an author who they do not know, and that's kind of the point of the game, is that you shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I, the trouble with, with calling it wrong is I almost like that some people are doing exactly what the game is, I wouldn't say criticising, but what the game is highlighting. Mm. I like the idea that there's this person who's doing a, a game about their own over-analysis of games that is leading to people over-analysing <laughs> the game. There's an irony there that I enjoy, and, yeah. and I'm glad that it's... Yeah, I'm glad I'm seeing it. Um, I guess for me, um, to loop back round to the Blade Runner thing, is, is I'm very much in the camp of those who, who watch Blade Runner and say it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether... I forget his name. Was it Decker? or something? Something um, like that. Something like that. Harrison Ford. Han Solo. It doesn't matter whether Han Solo's a robot or not. Um, and, and the you know, Total Recall, it doesn't matter whether it was a simulation or real, all this mm. kind of stuff. Um, I've always been of the people, um, and, and this comes back to my own, like, absurdist philosophy. Um, it, it's sort of when we talk about wider philosophy, I, I, I tend to consider myself an absurdist, this whole... There's nothing wrong in searching for the meaning of life, but I find it inherently silly to do so. Um, mm. But the reward of, of examining is its... Well, I was going to say the reward is its own reward. That's a terrible <laughs> sentence. But it's its own reward to look at these and ask these questions. Mm, and I think that's kind of interesting when we look at it through the lens of the game, because that's kind of what Redden's doing with Coda's work. Because, again, it's that whole point of... Redden is looking at Coda's work and overanalyzing it when it maybe shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. And like the fact, the very fact that like that parallel can be drawn with the audience is definitely something of value because either we we perpetuate it and we're playing into the narrative, or we fight against it and we're playing into the narrative. We can't avoid making a commentary yeah. with other actions. And I would say as well, um, death of the author comes into this as well. Um, you know. Is it necessarily wrong to have your own interpretation? Some people would say so. I'm, I, I think of Jonathan Blow and his mm. frustration. Uh, even games reviewers who praised Braid, he was angry and frustrated because they yeah. didn't get it. They interpreted it wrong. Mm. And I've always been of the opinion of that's bollocks. <laughs> uh, people can have their own interpretations. Oh, yeah, um, exactly. That they got something out of it different than what you wanted them to is not their fault. Mm. Um, it's not really your fault either. Uh, different things mean different stuff to different people. And ultimately, once you put your work out there, people draw their own meaning from it. And that's actually something I do in some of my other work, some of my weirder work. Um, mm. When I do things like nitpick theatre and I get people who watch it and they go, I don't know whether he's being sincere here, I don't know what this series means. Ultimately, it it means whatever you want it to mean. Yeah, it's, it, it's just one of those things that ultimately 
what a piece of art means comes down to the person who's interpreting it and it means whatever the audience decides it means or wants it to mean and I somewhat agree with you with Jonathan Blow like he always comes off as really pretentious when he talks about that um not because not really because of the attitude he has to his own work but because of the ownership he thinks he has over it because you know once you create a piece of art and you decide it is for public consumption you put it out into the public domain it becomes a product of the public domain and every person's going to come to it with their own history and their own feelings and their own emotions and those become a part of the experience like they are as much a part of the experience as what you made of the experience yeah you can't copyright or trademark the feelings your pro, uh, you know your your media has given someone you can't own that yeah exactly it's like the life that someone's lived up to the point that they experience this this piece of work is going to impact their yeah. experience and what they take away from it, and that's you them. Know, whether it's someone like Jonathan Blow who thinks they've made something way too complex and interesting uh, that we, we're we too stupid to get it, or whether it's the opposite thing like we saw with the Coda thing where the twist was that, um, you know, apparently, at least on the surface, most of these games didn't mean anything. They weren't a cry for help. They weren't mm. someone struggling with depression. It was a... They mostly just wanted to make games about prisons. And it wasn't a metaphorical prison. It was a literal prison. They just liked that as a theme, which I find really charming. Mm, And there is one sort of tangentially related thing that I think is really interesting to talk about. So if we kind of take Redden on his word that Coda made these games and that Mm -hmm. these were all created and played by Redden before he made the Stanley Parable... It's really interesting to note that the Stanley Parable is a game about an inescapable, never-ending prison. Yes, yes. Mm. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I don't know how much I buy into it, but I kind of love this idea that that Redden played through Coda's games and his takeaway was that he should make a game that was just about a prison because... I, I guess that's kind of what he ultimately did. He took Coda's work and he, I, I don't know. He, he made his own prison game. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, which itself said, a, uh, you know, had a lot of commentary on game design itself. And I think you're right. Like, like the Beginner's Guide is an excellent game that frames the Stanley Parable, which again is is selfish and self indulgent on Davy's part that he's made his. you know, quote-unquote made a game, or at least is selling a game about someone else's work that frames his most successful work. Um, Yeah, it's it's just really interesting because people have been asking me, do I need to play The Stanley Parable before I play this because it's a follow-up? And I've said, no, you don't have to play The Stanley Parable first. They're, They're separate experiences, but playing this will tell you a lot about The Stanley Parable. And that's the whole thing, is that if this is true, this really frames the creation of the Stanley yeah, Parable. It, it all comes back to him, um, and and that's something I find charming. Like like I find that mechanically charming, um, and within the game's internal narrative, gross. <laughs> you know, it's it's it it's it's kind of not cool. Yeah, it's it's something that's a bit like like a gaping wound. In that it's it's gross. It's definitely gross, but it also feels vulnerable to show yes. someone. Oh, absolutely. And that sort of gross vulnerability is interesting. Yeah. And I think that's again that comes back to what I wanted to do with my own review of the game was to uh, I wanted to do the same thing. And and that's one thing that I find so so beautiful about the beginner's guide is that it. It made it inspired me to do the same thing. It inspired me to want to, you know, open up uh, uh, some wounds of my own, uh, to use your phrase, uh, and 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 that really is is why I loved the game so much. Why, despite it mechanically being the antithesis of a lot of stuff I enjoy in games, um, narratively it was. It's something I find very important personally, uh, and and yeah, I just I th- I think it's a beautiful um, a beautiful museum piece uh, in terms of. Well, I I don't know if beautiful's maybe even the right word. It's 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 a fascinating <laughs> piece, but I don't know if I'd say beautiful well, about bear it. Bear in mind, this is coming from the guy who calls Aerith beautiful. 
Now, if you've ever been to Erith, um, <laughs> yeah. it's a block of concrete in the middle of um, mm-hmm. bullshit out of London. <laughs> um, I I find beauty in uh, bleakness, uh, and and I, I a lot of the things I would call beautiful are not what other people would call beautiful. Mm, like I I can definitely see the beauty in the vulnerability of this game. Like I think. The, the way that certain aspects of it open up are definitely, I think it's fair to describe as beautiful. Um, again, like the gaping wound analogy, it is beautiful because it is something that leaves you very vulnerable to show to anyone. Um, there, there are certain bits of this game, I don't know if they're too good to be true almost um, in their beauty, but I like the sort of uh, repetitive symbolance that we get with them. Um, there's a couple of couple of notes I wrote while I was um, while I was going through the tower mainly and I'm just going to read through these the two notes I made were um, suffer playing my art like I do creating it and stop saying you know me based on my work and the sort of symbolism that comes up between um, Coda's work and then uh, Redden's analysis of the work and then our analysis of Redden's analysis there are certainly some really beautifully vulnerable things yeah. there. And I, and I find that that last note you wrote especially resonant as someone who has dealt with a lot of people over the years who claim, who talk as if they know me inside out and they've never met me and they've only ever seen the Jimquisition persona, they've only ever read my reviews. Um, just the other day I was talking about um, someone on Ask FM had asked about, I can't even remember what the question was, but I was talking about the value in having friends who aren't gamers who don't use that term, who don't even play video games. You know, I have a lot of friends who don't play video games. And someone else asked me the question of, um, you say that, Jim, you say it's important to have friends who aren't gamers, but aren't all your friends game reviewers and game developers and, and people who work in the medium of games? And and despite all of the insults I've had over the years, being called fat tits uh, in my Modern Warfare 3 review and, and all this stuff, that was actually one of... Possibly the most offensive um, thing that has, at least in recent memory, ever been said to me. Uh, a stranger telling me who my friends are based on just the public uh, stuff they've seen from me. Um, so that whole stop saying you know me through my own work, you know, through my work, uh, is, is very, I think that's an, an important uh, thing to say. And, and potentially offensive because... You know, we do podcasts every week. We do people listen to our voices so much every week. Um, there is a familiarity there, and I'm not saying it's impossible that you don't get to get a glimpse of who I am. That we can't be familiar, and that you don't, you know, you're not familiar with me uh, as a person. But unless, unless you know me, uh, at you know Jim Sterling, um, you you can never speak with authority on what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, it's it's difficult. Like, I'm going to get a bit real worldy here, but I want to kind of compare this to um, Greg Miller and the Game Over Greggy show, where a big part of the way they talk about their fans is like, oh, if you're a if you if you're a person who listens every week, you know, you're a friend of the show, and it's difficult because I understand that sort of making a connection and the putting yourselves out there, and that's kind of what we do for a living. Um, it's it's weird. I'm I'm really new to this. I'm or at least relatively new, like a year or so. Um, a lot of the emails that we get to the podquisition are often about how people listening are either like socially isolated or whatever's going on, and they don't have a huge social circle, and they feel like we are like we are a group of friends that they can hang out with on a weekly basis and get to know, and that they feel like oh yeah, hanging out with the podquisition crew, and while that is kind of true, that is kind of what we do. We put a lot of ourselves out there and we open ourselves out to that. It's it's difficult because uh, so much of our lives are private and so much of what makes us us is, is private. And yeah, a lot of that never makes the show. And it's very interesting to see that one-sided dynamic be a thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like I don't want to mean, I don't mean to imply that, you know, 
Because I've seen some people say the whole, you know, if you're an audience member, you are not our friend. And they say it very harshly. And I don't mean to say it in a harsh way. It's more of a kind of... It, it's just that you don't know everything about us from the yeah. shows. That's, the shows you isn't know, It's like, I everything. love my audience and I have yeah. a laugh with a lot of members of my mm. audience in various Facebook groups or, or in the comment sections of things. Um you know, I'm very proud of the audience I have. The majority of my mm. uh, viewers and readers are, are great, great, um, insightful people. Um, and some of them have gone on to become close friends. Um, oh, definitely, but that's just not by but, default. You know, until I, I that threshold is crossed, there's always a mm. bit of me that's just, you know, not really known. Uh, and, and you can't know someone... You can't... You can't know someone solely through their work. You can get a good idea of who they are. You can know enough to be very friendly with them and get on with them. Um, but you can't... You, you, you can't assume that because of that, that means that that friendship works the same the other direction, that we feel that much friendship toward you yeah. as an individual. And, and I think that's, part, that's an important um, part of... And, and I, it was mirrored in some of the comments when I talked mm. about um, yeah. you know, some of the abuse I dealt with growing up uh, and, and the, you know, my... Uh, parental situation and the, the poverty I was brought up in. Um, mm. A lot of people in the comments said that for them, that actually framed some of the work I do for them, uh, where it was like, you know, I, I had my own assumptions as to your motivations mm. for doing certain things, but hearing this, I kind of get a lot of it now. Um, yeah. And that's something I found important, and I think that's an important, uh, uh, an important reason for saying that that phrase that you don't quite know us just through our work um yeah like i i think the important thing there is you don't know us just through our work like the just yeah. is important um like you can still get to know us like through other means and like that it's just a case of understand that the work alone doesn't give you a full picture of the person necessarily it gives you a face for sort of what they want to put forward into the world and it's it's interesting because that's definitely something that recurs throughout the game. Like you've got um, you've got Coder's work, and then Redden trying to like feel like he knows everything about Coder, and then the critics and the players thinking they know everything about Redden by trying to pick apart what he's told us through his work. And yeah, it's it's difficult because like I talked about this a couple of weeks, maybe a month back on Podquisition. I talked about sort of the level of persona that I have um, yeah. on on the show, and. It's it's interesting because the reason I felt that was really important to talk about is it's really important to break down those barriers because you can't know me just through my work because there is an amount of persona there. But by sort of sharing where those lines are and being like, these are the things that are me, these are the things that are exaggerated a bit. I don't know. You can sort of break down that barrier a bit and get a bit closer to yeah. those fans. I mean, it's part of the reason why I think out of a lot of people, in at least in games media, uh, I tend to open up about who I am um, more than quite a few people, um, be it through social media, you know, on Ask FM, or if I'm just idly chatting when I'm doing a, a squirty play video or whatever. Um, every now and then, I, 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 I like to sort of bring down the shields and talk a little bit, bit about who I am and my experience uh, outside of the game's coverage that I do, um, just to give people that glimpse, because I, I enjoy that. It's it's risky, I think, to do that. Uh, you do sort of risk giving ammo to people who don't like you, uh, new ways for them to hurt you, um, this kind of thing. Um, but I, I also think it's important, because um, I do want... I've, I've, I've often been driven by a need to have people see the real me because of that imposter syndrome that says if they saw the real you, they'd hate you, uh, which ties mm. into the addiction for yeah. validation where it's exactly. like, I've got a, I mean, I have, um, I've struggled with guilt for a, a lot of my life and it's to the point where I've, I've um, risked ruining relationships over it where it's like, I have to give a, a confession of every horrible thing I've done ever since I was a teenager up to the modern day um, in order for them to like me because anything less is deception uh, 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 with that person. Um, to the point where I've had people who are just like, Jim, just just shut up. Like, it, do it doesn't matter. Like, that, that whatever... Whatever thought is on your mind, if you've just suddenly had a nasty thought about someone that was that just crossed your mind, you don't have to tell me right now. Um... 
you don't have to feel bad about that. You just just fucking know it, like recognize it for what it is, and mm. just let it the fuck go. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, it's 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 a difficult thing knowing where to sort of draw that barrier and when to sort of open that barrier up a bit more for people to get a bit of a closer look in behind behind the work. Um, like I know I've talked about like. Um, I've talked in streams about my experiences with my friend trying to commit suicide and when I tried to commit suicide myself shortly before I ended up getting into writing and being trans and having Asperger's. And I've talked about those kind of issues that I struggle with because I do want to let people see a bit more of the me outside of the sort of the work and the persona. But I I just think it's really interesting that the game chose to portray that. Yeah, it's just I've I've never seen media do that. It's um, yeah, it's it's helped me think about w- ways I can break down those barriers and uh, yeah, I I I don't know. I don't think there's anything else I can say. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think we we're at that point where we we're just going yeah, yeah, at each other now. Yeah, we both just got very real. It's like yeah, yeah. yeah feelings yeah if we can if we carry on we'll both be just crying and, and be a two-person support group by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 one of those things that I, there's so much yeah. more we could still talk about with this game but i, I think this is probably a good place for us to draw to a close yeah because we all got very open and real yeah, i think it's a good time to 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 close the book on that yeah, here we go. Yeah. Yay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm just saying yeah over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, yeah. the fact that this game, like, the longer you talk about it, the mm. more you risk just talking about yourself. Oh, exactly. It's not only thematically <laughs> on point with the game itself, but a wonderful mm. example of the power of that game yeah. and the power of games as a medium to be able to affect you that strongly um, by putting you Mm. in that game's world and making you face the questions uh, in a way that books and films and other medium I don't think do. You know, there are things that books and films do better than games, and I think this is something that games can do better than them. this this ability to force a real introspection into mm, yourself definitely um, like I'm and, and I'm, I, th- I think that's wonderful yeah like I'm about two days past this game now and two days on I'm still finding new questions to ask myself that are really sort of making me think about myself which you know says a lot that's a video game did a lot there yeah yeah <laughs> And, you know, who knows, maybe in a few years when uh, Davey starts talking about it, he'll say it was all bollocks he made up and he's laughing at us all because we uh, took it way too seriously. <laughs> well, uh, you know, maybe, but if he did, it's if it's a work, it is a bloody fantastic work. So I would say good on him for eliciting yeah, all of those emotions. No matter, his, again, it goes back to Death of the Author, no matter mm. his intention, what he's achieved... Yeah, something quite special. Mm. And what I will say, because there's so much more stuff that I feel like I want to say and that I haven't said and that needs discussing, I'm going to open this up. If any of you want to talk more about this, email askpodquisition at gmail.com and I cannot promise that I will respond to everyone. I will read everyone and I will fascinatedly read through people's opinions because I want to know more about this. But yeah, if you want to get your thoughts out, there is so much we didn't get to discuss, and I'm sure I've forgotten so much. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that. Uh, I hope you did enjoy the discussion. Uh, one thing I noticed we didn't do was actually talk about what the game is. Uh, so if you were listening to this to get a better idea of what the game mechanically is, you kind of fucked. Well, we did kind of say that at the beginning. We were like, this show's not for you. If you haven't played the game, it's not for you. Fuck off. Don't come around here. So, you know... That's your own fault, I guess, if you're still listening. Um, yeah. Or, or maybe you should have, because because games and art. Oh, maybe that is the true way. Agency. Yeah, that is. Maybe, ah. maybe you listen. Maybe you're the only ones who listen to the podcast correctly. Um, but but yeah, that's that. Uh, we'll be back with our normal our normal <laughs> recording at the usual time with Gavin. Um, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.